0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they
1: want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Three years ago last Friday, in the early hours of March 3rd, 10 tornadoes touched down across Middle Tennessee, rocking our city and region. The storm traveled more than 100 miles, 25 people died, and more than 1,000 residences were hit in Davidson, Wilson, and Putnam counties. About 200 of those were completely destroyed. That's not to mention the nearly 3,000 other structures that were hit. We're talking churches, schools, music venues, Section 8 housing complexes. Later this hour, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our episode that first aired last year on the two-year anniversary of those storms. We talk with people who were directly in the path of the tornado that night and hear from experts on how to best prepare yourself for the next tornado. To put the 2020 tornadoes into perspective and to give some historical context, I'd like to welcome National Weather Service meteorologist Caroline Adcock. Caroline, thank you for being with us and welcome. Welcome. So this is Nashville.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Really appreciate you being here. So, you know, since we're talking about 2020, I wonder what was that night like for you?
2: Yeah. So uh, during those tornadoes, you know, we knew that there was a potential for severe storms that night, but we really weren't sure, 100 percent sure how bad it was going to get that night. And as we started seeing a supercell develop uh, across the Tennessee River, we kind of started to get that feeling that tonight was not or that night was not going to be a good night for middle Tennessee.
1: Tell me what you were doing that night of the 2020 tornado.
2: So I actually was not working that particular night. Um, I was at home. I kind of was watching things unfold that night. Um, I even wasn't 100% sure how that night was going to completely unfold. Um, and it wasn't until actually the next morning that I realized what had happened. I kind of, I wasn't 100% sure that it was, uh, that particular storm was going to make it all the way to Middle Tennessee. I knew my colleagues at the weather service had everything in hand. Um, so I actually fell asleep. And then I woke up the next morning to a lot of texts saying, what happened? Um, So it was definitely, you know, I, all of my colleagues, they know what they're doing. And so I know when I go home, um, I can trust what they're doing.
1: Mm -hmm. You mentioned Supercell earlier. Can you explain what that Mm -hmm. is?
2: Yeah, so a supercell usually is just one storm that's kind of by itself. So if you think about Middle Tennessee, a lot of times we get a big old line of severe thunderstorms. So, you know, we get a lot of rain, a lot of wind, and it's kind of uh, moving across a large area. Usually supercells are over just a single area. So if you think back to March 2020, that was just one storm that was impacting a small area in Middle Tennessee, pretty much right along in North I-40.
1: You know, I'm sure some folks listening are like me and weren't in Nashville yet when those storms hit three years ago. Can you give us a sense Mm -hmm. of how remarkable these storms were?
2: Yeah. So uh, just to put in perspective, I know uh, the Nashville tornado and EF3 tornado and the Cookville tornado and EF4 tornado, our area in Middle Tennessee actually had not had an EF4 tornado since the Good Friday tornado in Murfreesboro back in 2009. So Mm. it had been a really long time since we had had uh, tornadoes to that magnitude.
1: Is it unusual for so many tornadoes to form in such a short period of time?
2: Um, I would say it's not completely on, uncommon for that to happen. I know uh, in December of 2021, we actually, I believe, had 16 tornadoes across our area in a pretty small window. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, in middle Tennessee, that actually happens pretty frequently. Other areas in the U.S., it's not as common. But in Tennessee, that does seem to happen a lot.
1: Well, tell me, what what lessons did you and your colleagues take away from the 2020 tornadoes?
2: You know, the biggest thing we learned is just getting a better sense of how people respond to the products that we're issuing. So when we issue that tornado warning, you know, how are people receiving that message? What are people doing when they receive that message? Is there a way that we could... tell people about tornadoes differently that would have them uh, seek protective action or go to that lowest level in their home and things like that. So we got a really good understanding that night of, you know, people receiving the alerts on their phones and people receiving the alerts on their weather radios and uh, just using that information so that we can make sure people are prepared for the next time we get tornadoes. You
1: know, so how many tornadoes do we see here in Middle Tennessee in an average year?
2: In an average year, it does vary year to year. Um, I believe from about the mid-2000s till now, we see about 17 tornadoes a year. Um, 2020 definitely was a higher year, but even the following year in 2021, we did see more tornadoes. So every year it's different. I know this past year in 2022, we only had one tornado. So the average is around 17, but it does vary from year to year.
1: Okay. So are we just getting a lot better at spotting them?
2: You know, that's a really interesting question. Uh, Yes, we do have better technology. That's definitely something that plays a role. And also, there's more people. I mean, if you think of Nashville in 1950, 1950 Nashville looks a lot different than 2023
1: Nashville. Mm, Okay, so what about the last two years, 2021
2: and 2022? What do we have? Yeah, so... uh, Pretty much 2021 and 2022 were complete opposites of one another. So in 2021, Middle Tennessee actually saw 46 tornadoes, whereas Mm -hmm. in 2021 2022, we only saw one.
1: Wow, that's wild. An average of 23 and a half tornadoes per year, but 46 one year and only one the next?
2: Yeah, that's uh, you know, it's it's difficult to predict each year to year. I know um, there's uh, overall trends we can look at of just thinking, you know, maybe this year might be more active, but they're just trends. It doesn't necessarily mean that year's is going to 100 percent be more active.
1: Okay, Going back to the history question, have there been any historical trends with tornadoes in Middle Tennessee?
2: So over time, uh, I would say in the past 30 years, we do see, we've seen more tornadoes across Middle Tennessee, but I want to put a big asterisk next to that because while we've seen more tornadoes, that's not saying that there's actually been more tornadoes. We have way better technology these days than we used to have and also there's way more people in middle tennessee so while we have seen this trend of more tornadoes um, it could be simply related to having better technology to identify tornadoes and also more people that can be impacted by them
1: okay so i have to ask you this what about climate (laughs) change how does that factor into tornado formation
2: Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to climate, climate in general is looking over a long-term trend. So in order to say like one tornado happened because of climate change, we can't say that. But what we do know with climate change is that we are seeing more extreme weather events across the U.S. and so it could be related to that. Mm,
1: That makes sense. Well, are we in any kind of weather cycle right now that might, emphasis on might, make tornadoes (laughs) more or less likely this year.
2: Yeah. So whenever uh, some of our large scale patterns that we look at, one of the biggest ones we look at is uh, something called El Nino and La Nina. And uh, it has to do with sea surface temperatures across the equator off of South America. You might be thinking, what are sea surface temperatures in South America going to do for Middle Tennessee's weather? But it actually has an influence on the weather patterns we see across our area. So typically for Middle Tennessee, when we have a La Nina pattern, which is actually what we're in right now now, hmm. we typically see a wetter and warmer season, so we'll usually have an earlier and more active severe weather season. Whereas when we're in an El Nino, we're typically drier, and we usually don't have as active of a severe weather season.
1: All right. This, all of this has me thinking, tornadoes are hard to make sense of. What, what makes them so hard to predict?
2: You know, when it comes to forecasting tornadoes, we need a lot of variables to come together. We need moisture. Uh, We need something called instability. So, how fast the air is moving aloft and different things like that. Uh, Usually, we need a cold front and different things like that. But the really interesting thing with tornadoes is we need all of these variables to come together pretty much perfectly. So, even if there's one little thing off, a tornado might not happen. So, being able to identify uh, where these areas are. Um, that's when we tell you guys, you know, be prepared. You know, we might see a tornado today, but we need all those factors to come together in order to get a tornado
1: question. All right. So you and your colleagues, you both, you all study these tornadoes and these weather patterns. What type of preparation measures do you all take?
2: Yeah, so a lot of people don't realize, but we actually do have a storm shelter in our office. If there's ever a tornado that's impacting our office, we can pass our operations to another National Weather Service and we will seek shelter ourselves. So we always, uh, we make sure that our family and friends are aware, you know, cleaning out the closet at our house, making sure that wherever our storm shelter is in our own homes with our families, that we're able to take those protective actions. And we do take those protective actions ourselves at our office.
1: You know. Like I said, I've only been in town for maybe a year, a year and a half, and I didn't really come to come to town knowing much about the tornadoes. What advice do you have Mm -hmm. for anyone who's thinking about visiting during this time or moving to Nashville now?
2: Yeah. So the biggest thing I always like to tell people is to be prepared, not scared. So tornadoes are a really scary thing for a lot of people, whether they've been through tornadoes or don't know anything about them. But the thing with tornadoes is there are simple actions that you can take to make sure that um, if a tornado is coming for you, you know what to do. So make sure you have multiple ways to receive warnings, whether that be on your cell phone, social media, alerts from apps, different things like that. And also make sure you know where to go, no matter where you are. If you're visiting a friend's house or out at work, you know, know where to go if there is a tornado warning issued for you. You want to go to the lowest level of your home in the most interior room. You want to make sure that you're putting as many walls between you and the outside as possible.
1: How can someone who doesn't have those things available, how can they be forewarned and tell that a tornado is coming?
2: Yes. So uh, another great resource is a NOAA weather radio. So you can find these pretty much at any grocery store or anything like that. And they're actually programmed to receive alerts directly from our office. I know, for example, with the March 2020 tornadoes, there were people that that is what woke them up overnight. Because sometimes your cell phone doesn't always work overnight, especially if you have it on silent. Whereas a weather radio will go off no matter what.
1: Mm Hmm. That's good. Is there anything else you want people out there to know? about the potential for tornadoes here in our state?
2: Yeah, I would just, I really wanna emphasize the being prepared and not being scared about it. You know, if you're ever concerned a bit about anything, uh, just, you know, our office has social media, local meteorologists has social media. There's also phone lines that you can call and different things like that. So just make sure you have an action plan whenever severe weather is possible.
1: Be prepared and not scared. That's my new mantra. Mm-hmm. That was National Weather Service meteorologist, Caroline Adcock. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it.
2: Of course, thank you for having me on.
1: We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our episode, Remembering the 2020 Tornadoes and the Rebuilding That Followed. Stay with us. This is Nashville. It's reopening day at Asphalt Beach Skate Shop in East Nashville. Well,
3: really good. Feeling better down yeah. at the toes?
1: Nicole Ship, AKA Gizmo, is getting custom fitted for skates. She's a roller derby athlete who's come all the way from Marietta, Georgia for this.
3: There is a break-in period, so they'll, they'll loosen up over time.
1: After the 2020 tornado all but leveled this small shop on Woodland Street, owner Steve Larios wasn't sure they'd be able to recover. It took everything down
4: right to the slab. But they did. Well, I'm so excited. Uh, I was really fortunate in that the the insurance came
1: through quickly. They sent their catastrophic team up, the guys
4: that like went to the Katrina and stuff, and he goes, we're just going to put you down as totaled. You know, it's a lot easier being totaled than being partially damaged because some of the buildings that got partially damaged took them forever to settle out with the insurance because they were arguing how damaged were they
1: that was steve larios owner of the asphalt beach skate shop this hour we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our episode for march 2022 reflecting on the tornadoes that tore through our city and region three years ago last friday and rounding up resources to help you prepare for the next one to get started We want to talk about what it takes to rebuild like they did at Asphalt Beach Skate Shop and also recover from the trauma. Because stores and houses aren't the only things that need rebuilding. The psyche needs care as well. Now, let's hear from two people who lived through the storm. I'd like to bring in Terry Warren. He's joining us by phone and is here to share his story with us. Terry, welcome to This is Nashville.
5: Uh, Yes, I remember the tornado very well because I was uh, laying in the bed, and the next thing I know I heard this wind coming through the alley that sounded like a a train, then the windows popped out, I jumped up and ran to the hallway to where there's a beam that's going outside the door, stood in that hallway uh, beam area, and then the electricity uh, popped and went out. And then the next thing I know, I started praying and asking God to, to make a way for me. Mm-hmm. And then right after I got through praying, it was over just that quick.
1: That must have been really frightening.
5: Oh, it was very frightening. I was I was praying to God that I, could, that I would survive it.
1: And you did. And you did. So mm-hmm. tell me, what did you do after the storm passed?
5: Well, after the storm passed, I went outside the house to assess the damage that was done. And uh, I noticed that a, a tree limb had fell on my car and busted the the front windshield out. Mm. And uh, the house that was that was next to me, the roof has, had gone off of it. And the house that was next to that, it was almost completely demolished. And the library, which was across the street from us, it was towed up. And uh, Kroger's, which was on Monroe Street, right there at the at the corner. Uh, the windows got knocked out of all of it, but it didn't do that much damage to Kroger's. And then after I got through doing that, I decided to go on back in. There was no lights or nothing, but I didn't have no place else to go, so I laid back down to get me some sleep. The landlord came over the next day and gave everybody that was in, that was left in, in the house $800 to, to move somewhere.
1: Now— were you able to find a place? The landlord gave you $800 to move. Was he just permanently putting you guys out of the place?
5: Yes, he was permanently putting us out. And I had some friends, and I called them. They introduced me to a guy that had a place that I could could move in. And I told him that uh, I have no place to go, and we got to be out in two days. I waited on this guy to call me, and he didn't, so I started calling him. And then finally he told me, uh, the next day he'll have a place for me." So I spent one night in my car, and then the next day I was able to move into my new new place.
1: Now, was it just you? Or did you have anybody with you?:
5: No, it was just me at the time. My daughter, thank God, she was gone at the time. Okay. now,
1: how long have you been at this new place?
5: Uh let's see. I was there until the pandemic virus hit. Hmm. After that, uh, the landlord put up a sale sign and moved us out uh, and put us under the bridge where we became homeless. And then my daughter had had made it back home by then. Her feet was frostbitten because of the coldness uh, at that time. And we wind up taking her to the hospital. The Salvation Army uh, came in and took us to a shelter. And then they said the next day they'd put us in a place to live, and that's where we are today.
1: Hold on a second. The landlord put you under the bridge. Back up for me. Tell me what happened with that. Because what what I'm understanding is, first of all, the tornado hits and your place Mm -hmm. is demolished. Then you go to another place that you think, okay, finally I have shelter, and the pandemic Mm -hmm. comes in, and this person puts you out, and you end up under the bridge. How did that affect
5: you? Because of the pandemic, they had cut the work. Uh. So he wasn't getting any money. We was waiting on the stimulus checks to come, <laughs> but and he was you know, everybody knew this it wasn't supposed to put people out in the streets. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he took up a sale sign and put it up and act like he was selling the place, and everybody had to get out. He came to me and asked me, "Where where do I want to go?" And I said, "Man, I don't have no place to go. The only place I can think of is the homeless camp on the Jefferson Street Bridge." So he loaded us up and dropped us off there, and went and and he gave me twenty dollars. And then after that, he moved on. Twenty dollars. Yeah. Wow. Twenty whole dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of shocked by that. I'm gonna be honest with you, my friend. You know.
5: Yeah, but legally it was nothing I could do because once he got us out, was, you know, I, I guess that was that was it. But but I, what I should have done was called the police. And told them what he was doing, and then they could have straightened it out. We would have been in that situation, but I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you were out in house for some time, right?
5: Uh, Yeah, we stayed We stayed under that bridge from March 24th all the way up to about three weeks ago. How
1: did you keep yourself safe when the weather got really bad?
5: Well, we had tents, and I brought a generator and put down. Uh, to supply electricity for people to run their heaters. And I uh, taught my tent a uh, uh, double. We had sleeping bags, me and my daughter, we had sleeping bags. And we put four blankets on each each one of us. She had four on her, I had four on, on me. And that kept us real warm. Mm-hmm. I like it, to... We survived it. It was hard, but we survived it. Yes, yeah, you did.
1: Yes, yeah, you did. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast of our episode from last year, looking back on the March 2020 tornadoes that devastated parts of Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Now, I'd like to bring in our next guest, whose home was also hit in 2020. Tamara Williams lives in Cookville, a community about an hour and a half east of Nashville that suffered a lot of damage. Nineteen people died when the tornado touched down in Putnam County. Tamara, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being with us. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing good. So thank you for being with us. Now, Terry told us that he was up watching television as the storm hit. Mm -hmm. What about you? Tell me about what was the situation in your house that night?
3: Um, Well, I remember I watched the weather before I went to bed and I remember thinking, okay, it looks like it's gonna be just a little north of us. And I didn't feel well that night, just all of a sudden started feeling like I had the flu. Hmm. So I went to bed and we woke up at one. It was 1:43, 1:44, and our alarms were going off. And then when we seen it was, it says take shelter now, which was an alert that we had never, we had never seen prior to that day. Mm-hmm. So we grabbed the kids from upstairs and literally was dragging them downstairs by their arms because my kids do not wake up mm-hmm. like and. Like, they're, like, lethargic. They don't know up from down when they first wake up. Um, and I couldn't pick them up. Like, we literally had them bouncing down the stairs. The house was already shaken, and the lights were flickering, and it was it was scary.
1: Now, had you and your family made preparations for the storm?
3: Honestly, no. I mean, I have in the past, and I thought, and some people think I was, like, a little overkill with it, mm-hmm. but I didn't that night. Cause I just didn't, it, it looks like it was going to the North of us. And I honestly thought, okay, it's just going to be a little thunderstorm, nothing to worry about. Um, but hindsight had I listened, like I all of a sudden felt like, I felt like there were, there were signs that maybe I should have picked up. on. Like I felt sick. I felt fine. And then all of a sudden, I felt like I had the flu mm-hmm. and then my dogs were in the garage that night in their kennels. And they whined all night long, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not typically you know their behavior. yeah, and I was just like, "Shut up, quit, <laughs> go to sleep." But I felt like you know they knew something too that you know, like they could just feel it, I guess
1: now, I'm sure this is really difficult for you to talk about, but can you describe what happened when the tornado touched it down?
3: Um, we were. I had, we just barely made it into the bathroom before the backside of my house blew in. Um, We had my son, uh, who's now 10, and Emma, who's now 13. We had them in the bathtub. My oldest daughter, who's now 20, was wedged in between the toilet. Mm. And I was over top of them, and my husband was over top of me. Um, As soon as the door shut um, in the bathroom back side of the wall and um, the interior, uh, one of the interior walls completely blew off and it we were we were wedged and wrapped our bodies were wrapped around one another as any way possible. Um, and it picked it picked up my son first um, and then it just picked us all up and threw us into the wall and we were. When it was over, we were standing in what was um, like our hallway outside of our bathroom. Wow, that's hard. Of the the interior bathroom.
1: You had to hold on to each other to to remain anchored. Yes. Wow.
3: Because if one person was going, we were all going. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, we were not letting go. Mm -hmm.
1: So after the December tornadoes last year, we spoke with Chrissy Hurley from the National Weather Service of Nashville. She'll be joining us later on in the show. Now, that part of her job was going out and actually walking the path of a tornado after the fact to survey the damage. She told me she will always be remembering visiting Cookville after the EF4 tornado hit in March 2020.
6: It was so raw and you know so fresh. There were hundreds, probably thousands, of volunteers out there helping one another and comforting and the hugs and the tears. And I think that is just one memory that I'm always going to take with me, you know, despite the death and destruction that, you know, occurred in that community, just to see everybody come together and the volunteers helping everybody out, that will stick with me through my entire career.
1: Tamara, hearing that, do you feel like it's an accurate portrayal of your community in Cookville?
3: I do, yes. We met people that we did not know prior to the tornado, probably most likely wouldn't have crossed, you know, crossed paths any other way who are, they will be lifelong friends.
1: Now you've been working on rebuilding your house ever since March, 2020, before you talk about the house itself, I wonder why did you decide to stay when your house was basically destroyed?
3: We stayed, um my husband was in the military. So we were in, I'm from Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. Um, So we moved back to Cookville. We were fairly new. Um, There was a split second where we was like, we are out of here. We are leaving. Um, But then I come to the realization that this can happen anywhere. Like you cannot run from this. This was the act of God. Mm. And there's just, it can happen anywhere. So what's the point of, of running from it? So we decided to stay put.
1: Now, once you decided to make that, you made that decision, what was it like trying to rebuild the house?
3: It's still a work in progress. Um, we did things a lot differently um, than, than most did in this area. Our walls are, are concrete and then with steel studs on the back of the walls, but the interior walls are are wood. Um we did things a little different, just for comfort measures and safety, peace of mind. Should should something ever, you know, happen mm-hmm. happen again like this?
1: So I want to um, a- I want to ask this question to both of you. When you hear news yeah. about coming severe weather, a new event coming, where are your emotions? Like, how do you react to that type of news? Terry, you go first.
5: Uh, when I hear a bad weather, since I've uh, been through it before. I just uh, try to watch out to see which direction is coming, and then try to make plans to to decide whether I need to move somewhere, or whether I just need to just stay put and and uh, find shelter, like going into the bathroom. Tamara,
3: um, we do things um, very similar. We we do a little differently. Just um, my kids, I have a backpack for them i tell them to you know dress somewhat appropriately because we were all in our pajamas i just want them to have on something warm mm-hmm. and if the weather gets crazy i just go ahead and wake them up bring them down get their shoes on and i put helmets on them now mm-hmm. like their uh bus or not their, um, their bicycle helmets um and they have a backpack ready to go with a change of clothes and you know want something small like some kind of entertainment yeah. you know cuz they're going to be in the closet for a minute cuz in back in December we actually left the rental property that we're in now and went over to the new house.
1: You did that for the for the for the December storms that came?
3: I think it was in December. Yeah, yeah, it was in December. Like it just got too windy for my comfort and mm-hmm. um that I know it was talking about a lot of rotations. So I was like let's go. We stayed there At the new house for probably five hours. Okay. Four to five
1: hours. Real quick, I got one minute left. One last question for you both. What do you wish you had known then that you know now to better prepare you for that moment two years ago? Terry.
5: Yes, I wish then that I'd had the apps needed on my phone that would uh, give me the weather alert. I could have been better prepared. Tamara? Because now I know, so. Mm Mm-hmm
3: same. I have every every single app, weather app you can download and my weather radio.
1: I want to thank you both for joining us and sharing your stories of living through the March 2020 tornadoes. I truly wish the best for you and your families. That was Tamara Williams and Terry Warren. Thanks to you both again, really. And thank you for tuning in to this rebroadcast of our episode from last year, looking back at the March 2020 tornadoes. When we come back, We'll talk with some local weather experts and learn how we can all prepare for the next tornadoes. We'll be right back. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our episode from last year, looking back at the March 2020 tornadoes that devastated parts of our city and region. We were just hearing how traumatizing it can be to live through a tornado, and how challenging it can be to rebuild or relocate. Now, let's take a look ahead. We wanna learn how to best prepare for the next tornado. To help us do that, we've rounded up a panel of local weather experts. Our first guest, is Leland Statum. He's the senior meteorologist at News Channel 5 and I'm sure a familiar voice to many Nashvillians. Leland, thank you so much for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you, great to be with you today. It's great to have you with us. So it's getting warmer, feeling nice out there. We're about to head into the severe weather season, but we sort of just left the other severe weather season. Is that right?
4: that is true because we have had a tornado touchdown in tennessee and every month of the year And so spring, March, April, May, that's our traditional severe weather season. Mm -hmm. But there's also that secondary season, and that's late October into November. And usually it's the reverse of spring. In spring, it's the colder air is trying to hang on as warmer air is moving in. In the fall, you've got the warmer air trying to hang on as the colder air is moving in. And sometimes those clash. Of the air masses can result in the severe weather or in the tornado.
1: Okay, okay. I also hear the tornado danger zone, if you will, might actually be getting closer to us.
4: That's one of the big things in, in research right now is, is there this shift happening in traditional tornado alley out to our west moving in our area? The other thing, too, to keep in mind is even before this shift started to happen, there was a higher ratio of killer tornadoes in our area. So preparedness is key to this.
1: Preparedness is key. Yes. But let's talk for a moment about when that severe weather hits. I think for a lot of us, watching TV news is big, or following social media updates. One account that everyone told me to follow when I moved here, from a place that does not have tornadoes, I might add, is Nashville Severe Weather, at NashSevereWX on Twitter. It's basically a team of three friends who created a Twitter account in 2009, and later scrounged together a home studio where they could live stream video coverage to help keep Nashville safe. Our producer, Steve Harouche, snagged an exclusive tour of that studio recently to get a behind-the-scenes look.
0: Are so you going to take me where the magic happens? Yes, this is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Leaper Home. All right. This is the studio, as I guess we call it. Here on the lower level, we have three monitors, and this is for my main computer. This is the workhorse that does the broadcasting. It runs the radar software. It runs the, the broadcast producer software where we do the switching from different sources, different cameras. All of that is on this main computer with three screens here on the lower level. On the left TV, um, we have our Twitter feed. I can see what David is tweeting. I can see what people are replying with. And I can see our T-Spotter feed, which is where people send in reports. Also have on that TV uh, our chat room where uh, we, along with emergency managers and media, join the National Weather Service in a chat. One thing about this room is while it looks, you know, like it has a lot of different things in it and, you know, this is where we kind of help keep people safe. um, This is not really a safe room. Now, one of the dangers is, is that when you're wrapped up in everything going on, my family may be in their safe place, but if if I'm not having this situational awareness, I can forget where I am on the radar. When things really start moving fast, uh, it, it's it's like drinking from a fire hose, and and you just you have to just be calm, and you have to just take a deep breath, and and just keep your wits about
1: you. Andrew Leeper joins us now. Welcome, Andrew. How you doing today? Good I'm do- to be with you. I'm doing all right. Thanks for being with us, man. This is great. Absolutely. Glad to be here. You know, drinking from a fire hose, that really got me. One thing that we didn't see on this tour is what it looks like when all the feeds and monitors are on and the data is pouring in in real time. So let me ask you, how do you keep your wits about you when you have so much data coming in at you?
0: You know, if we we feel a deep responsibility, um, and it, it's not just about, you know, we're not just messing around on social media. We realize that that people truly depend on us and broadcasters and the weather enterprise to keep them safe and to keep them informed of what's going on. And so, really, you just have to, like I said there, just have to take a deep breath and realize that, Uh, You know, people are relying on the information. Uh, You need to keep it accurate and, and just tell people the story. Tell people what's going on as if I'm talking to my own family. It's what I would tell them.
1: Let me ask you a question. Where is the safest place to go in your house should a severe storm and tornado come around?
0: You know, uh, every situation is, is so different and you know, we have these general guidelines, uh, such as, uh, and this is a graphic that I'll put up whenever we uh, have a tornado warning and it stays up the whole time, but it is, you know, the general guidelines are lowest level away from windows, the most interior room, as many walls between you and the outside as possible. Um, and, and so those are those are general rules, and every place has a little bit uh, of a different a diff- of a different setup. And um, you know, our National Weather Service uh, friends that are that are there, professionals, um, they they have uh, guidelines and suggestions as well uh, that maybe get down to more of the specifics of your building.
1: Okay, I'd like to bring in our next guest, Chrissy Hurley, is with the National Weather Service of Nashville, where she serves as the Warning Coordination Meteorologist. That means she knows what she's talking about. Welcome, Chrissy. Thank you for being a part of the show.
6: Well, thank you for having me.
1: So one question that comes up a lot is, what is the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning?
6: The best way that I can describe it and the easiest way I describe it to my my family is think about when you're making tacos, right? Mm -hmm. A taco watch. You put all of the ingredients out on your counter. You're about to prepare um, some good taco dinner, right? So that's a taco watch. Same kind of thing in the atmosphere. All of the tornado ingredients are there, ready to come together. But when you start making that taco and it's about to go into your mouth, Mm -hmm. that's when I'm going to issue a taco warning, right?
1: Okay, I got this. You know what? For lunch, I'm about to have a taco warning because I got tacos for lunch. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. okay? if you're just joining us, we're talking about how to stay safe when tornadoes hit. Our guests are Leland Statum from News Channel 5, Andrew Leeper of Nashville Severe Weather and Chrissy Hurley from the National Weather Service. So I've got a question for you, Andrew. You know, we want to know, like, when is the right time to head to our safe spaces?
0: Sure. So th- there are a couple of things you can do. Um, typically, what we would, we would say is that ahead of a warning being issued, if you are not in a safe place or not near a safe place, ahead of a warning being issued, you want to have a plan uh, to get to that safe place quickly so that when a warning is issued, you can get to that place very, very quickly. All right, so let's say maybe the day of a severe weather event, you wanna go ahead and be, uh, and and have your plan kind of in your back pocket to where you're gonna go when a warning is issued. And it may be at your work, it might be where you're shopping, it might be at your home. And so that way, whenever a warning is issued within a matter of seconds or minutes and not many minutes, Mm -hmm. you can get to that safe place. And so it's not something that you want to think about as soon as the warning is issued. Okay, where am I going to go? This takes a little bit of planning on your part leading up to the event.
1: So I'm hearing we need to carry out a plan that we've already worked out. It is not a time to improvise. That's right. So what about storm shelters? Are they worth the expense?
0: you know it, it depends on your structure I mean you know there's there's not a cut and dry answer for every structure and every tornado and every severe event so um, if if a safe room in your home makes you feel safe then that is something that might be worth the expense for you mm-hmm. If you have a, a a place that is pretty strongly built and you know a home that is strongly built and you have a place that is where you can go that has many walls between you and the outside as many walls as possible and you feel safe in that in that room then maybe you don't need to invest in a storm shelter it's all what makes you feel safe in your structure in your situation
1: where you are and
0: every place is different
1: okay i got a question about basements are basements just watery graves i mean what's the deal with that we've heard different things here at WPLN news so what should we what what's the deal
0: you know, there certainly have been situations where people have been in a shelter and water has come up quickly. Maybe you're in a flood-prone area, uh, but that's certainly not the case in every situation. I mean, I, I would I would venture to say the vast majority of cases, um, the storms that we have coming through, really the tornado warning lasts for for 30 minutes, perhaps, and then the storm has kind of moved on it's it's fairly rare that we get a situation where we would have a tornado warning and it just dumps and dumps and dumps rain just continually over and over and over where we would have a flooding problem. So really you have to sort of gauge in, in your home, in your safe place, is it in a place that typically would flood? And I would say that if the answer is no to that question, then odds are you're in pretty good shape that it's probably not going to flood in that one situation where you need it and a tornado comes by.
1: I'm not from here. I really don't know how to prepare. So this is this entire episode and conversation is educating me greatly. But we have Jordy Lane from Nashville talking about their preparation and their kit.
5: As an Aussie, I didn't know any better until 2020 when I looked out the window and saw a portion of someone's roof flying over our house. So we ran into the closest closet. Um, but now we have a tornado go bag with Everything from headlamps, portable chargers, weather radios, dog treats, helmets. Um, So we just try and calmly set ourselves up in there with our dog Tazzy and uh, extra mattress ready to drop over us.
1: Okay, so let's talk tornado kit and essentials. Chrissy, what are some of the essentials that we each should have in our tornado kits?
6: I think, you know, the biggest thing is things that can help you immediately if you're House, work, school gets hit by a tornado. Uh, We want everybody to have a good pair of, as my dad would say, sneakers on. You know, shoes that, you know, there's going to be glass around, shoes that you can walk around uh, if there's debris. A helmet. A helmet is a great idea to put on because one of the number one, uh, you know, reasons for fatalities is blood force trauma to the head during tornadoes. So you want to make sure that you protect your head. So if you have a helmet, bicycle helmet, football helmet, motorcycle helmet, go ahead and put it on uh, when you're taking shelter. And you want to have, you know, other things in your go bag. Obviously, that's that's going to be a personal decision, but... You know, flashlights, maybe some extra batteries for those flashlights, and a battery-operated uh, radio, so that you can get information. Because when a tornado happens, you may or may not have cell phone reception. Mm-hmm. So to get information, it's important to have one of those old, tiny battery-operated radios.
1: Okay, okay, I'll make sure I get one of those now. We still have Leland Statham on the line with us, Leland. What kind of information is important for us to follow?
4: I think just to reiterate what Chris and uh, Andrew have said is to make sure that you are weather aware, make sure that you are situationally aware of what is going on. And so if there is something where we think there may be storms in the middle of the night have a way to get that information so that if you fall asleep, there is something that will alert you, whether it's your phone. The NOAA weather radio again is fantastic because while they plug into the wall, they have a battery backup. But information is key in making sure that you are situationally aware of what is happening at your home or at your workplace in this situation.
1: We understand it's 2022. There's a big problem with misinformation out there. So we're going to try to work on a little Mythbusters lightning round. We've got no prizes for you, but our enduring respect and gratitude. So I'm going to tell you a common severe weather truism, and you're going to tell me truth or myth. Then you all can expand if you want. Andrew, I'm going to start with you. When a tornado is imminent, it will feel warm. Truth or myth?
0: Not always. Not always. Um, Especially when some of our tornadoes happen in the wintertime. It's not always going to feel 75 and humid outside. It may be a little cooler.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's neither truth nor myth, but (laughs) somewhere in the middle. Okay. I got that. I got that. All right. Uh, Chrissy, tornadoes can't cross rivers. Truth or myth?
6: Oh, my goodness. Total myth. Uh, Just the tornadoes this past December. uh, Big-time tornadoes crossed the Mississippi River, uh, the same one that hit Mayfield, Kentucky. So that is 100% myth.
1: Okay. Okay. So you can take a tornado to a river, but you can't make him leap. Um, That was really corny. I'm sorry, y'all. Okay. So, Leland, with you, tornadoes can't climb hills. Truth or myth?
4: That is definitely a myth. People in East Tennessee used to think that they were protected because they were in East Tennessee mountains, but no. Uh, tornadoes can climb hills and uh, up mountains as well.
1: Okay. Okay. Back around to you, Andrew. An approaching tornado will sound like a train. I didn't know this. Is that true?
4: You know, we've heard
0: various sounds. Some of them say a freight train, some of them say a jetliner, um, mm. but but you know... it, it the strongest tornadoes may sound like that, but not all of them are gonna be loud and you definitely don't wanna wait to hear the sound before you take cover. That's not the idea. We mm-hmm. don't want that. We want you to go ahead and take cover before you hear any sound at all. And
1: then have debates on what it sounded like after you've you've, you've after there the you storm go. has passed. That's right. I'm with it. I'm with it. Chrissy, Tennessee ranks as one of the deadliest states for tornadoes, truth or myth
6: that is truth. Uh, Tennessee ranks number three in tornado fatalities. And a lot has to do with the fact that 46% of our tornadoes occur at night in the dark when Mm. people are sleeping or you can't see them. And so that is why it's so important to make sure you prepare.
1: Okay. Okay. And uh, Leland, tornadoes are like lightning. They never strike the same place twice. Truth myth? That
4: is incorrect. We've had uh, some that have hit a couple of places just within a couple of blocks of each other, so definitely a myth.
1: Okay. Okay. And Andrew, final one for you, my friend. East Nashville, where I live, I hope this is a myth, is a midi tornado alley.
0: You know, if you go and look at the tornado database on the Weather Service's website, you can see that there have been several tracks there. And I guess this sort of goes to your previous question. Is that is that uh, you know some places do get get hit more than once. And uh, there does, you know there there have been quite a few tornadoes going back through history that have affected the East Nashville neighborhood.
1: Okay. Okay, I get that. Now, Chrissy, we have covered a lot a lot in this episode. Is there one thing that you want people to take away from today's show? What is it?
6: I think here in the state of Tennessee, with severe weather, you know that it's not if we're gonna get another tornado, it's merely when. Mm -hmm. And since almost half of our tornadoes occur at night, it is so important to make sure that your family has a plan, know what to do, know where to go and have multiple ways to get weather information that will wake you up.
1: Got it, got it. Wake up call and multiple reliable information sources. All right, well, hey, I'm feeling more prepared. We hope you are too. Head to thisisnashville.org for a roundup of the resources from today's show. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast of our episode from last year all about the March 2020 tornadoes and how to prepare for when, not if, the next one touches down. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new show for you about the meaning of woke, Looking forward to that. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhoe. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRanja and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Le We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.